0: All right, thank you, Miriam and Bill. Miriam being the best piano player in Rome, Georgia. And then you got Bill, he's one of the hardest working instrumentalists and orchestra conductors I have ever known. Well, I got compared to Jerry Vines at Prime Timers yesterday. They said, the only thing I do better than him is go up these steps without holding a handrail. So that was it. So turn to 1 Corinthians, chapter 13, and we're going to talk about loving lessons tonight. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and love is kind. It does not envy, does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts always hopes, always perseveres, love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they'll cease. Where there are tongues, they will be still. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. In 2009, a man compiled a book about six-word memoirs on the subject of love. Now, listen to some of these six-word phrases that describe love. One is, where he is, I am home. In hindsight, I still choose you. Wonder-filled and never a dull torment. Endurance is an expression of love. Everyone's crazy except you and me. He's Velcro, and I'm Teflon. Love endures. Hired me, fired me, and married me. Hearts never look both ways first. What do you want for dinner? May I have the last dance? Jesus gave his six words on love. When you turn to John chapter 10, verse 18, here's what he said. I lay down my life voluntarily. What are your six words that describes love? You can try an experiment. We'll go down to verse 4 in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And let's substitute the name Jesus in there for the word love. And let's look at the name of Jesus and see what happens. Verse 4, Jesus suffers long and is kind. Jesus envieth not. He vaunteth not himself, he is not puffed up, he does not, he's not behave himself unseemingly. He seeks not his own, he is not easily provoked, he thinks no evil. He rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Jesus Christ bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Jesus never fails. And let me give you a challenge you go back to verse 4 and put your name from chapter, four, chapter 13 and going down through the same verses we did starting in chapter 4 and see what will happen. It's a revealing commentary on our personal Christian life. Well, after that kind of experiment, we want to confess with the publicans in Jesus' parable, God be merciful to me, a sinner. So let's focus on the great love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, and we look first of all at the supremacy of love. Some of your translations use the word charity. That appears in the King James Version. Most modern translations use the word love. We've got the word eros in the Greek that really is a physical love, and then got phileo that means a brotherly love, and then what we have here is agape love. Agape love is a self-sacrificing love. It was the kind of love that Jesus expressed when he shed his blood and gave his life on the cross for our salvation. We dare not take 1 Corinthians chapter 13 out of context. If you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I want you to notice that he is describing the spiritual gifts. And as he does that, he talks about how we're a living organism. We, we have at least one spiritual gift when we get saved. But he thought, then he talks about however many we have as brothers and sisters in Christ. We come together as a living organism. The eyes, the nose, the mouth, the ears, the legs, the arms. And we're to be working together. Now, sometimes people who have a certain spiritual gift that they have and you don't have it, sometimes they're a little bit proud and a little bit boastful. So it's no mistake that after he talks about the spiritual gifts, he writes 1 Corinthians 13. But I want you to go down to 1 Corinthians 14 and look at his subject there. He speaks there. He picks up the discussion of tongues, for this seems to have been a problem in the church at Corinth. He speaks of the primacy of love in chapter 13. He says, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels. He said he may speak an ecstatic utterance, whatever it may be, or just words in general. But he says, if you don't have love, he says that neutralizes what you say. So as we look at this, You've got chapter 12 on the spiritual gifts where there may be some division. Then you got down in chapter 14 when they're talking about people speaking and, and how it can cause dissension in the church. And right in the middle, he, he makes a love sandwich for 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Look in verse 2. He says, and if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and know all knowledge... And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am absolutely nothing. So he says, I have the gift of prophecy. Today, that would be the gift of preaching. When you study the spiritual gifts, you'll find that people who have the gift of prophecy or preaching sometimes are a little bit haughty and can be very, very judgmental when they're walking in the flesh. And he says, "If, if I don't, Share God's word in love. He says, I neutralize my testimony. Notice the power behind what we say and what we do is our motive. And he says there, if our motive is self-interest, if it's praise, if it's promotion of ourselves or advantage of any sort, our influence for the Lord has been undercut. And then Paul says, love is greater than knowledge. Even though you have perceptive knowledge and can understand all kinds of profound mysteries of the universe, he says, you might be like a walking Wikipedia, but he says, if you do not exercise the gift of love, you are a spiritual zero. Suppose you have faith, he says, a mountain moving kind of faith, and you do not operate that faith in the context of love. He says, you're bankrupt as far as the kingdom of God. Notice he says, though you give all your goods to feed the poor. He says, love is greater than giving. And that giving has got to be done in love. And he goes a little further here in verse 3b. He says, if you give your body to be burned and you do, do not have love, then something is missing. You know, we look at martyrdom and we think, wow. Wow. That's a great thing, but it's got to be done in the right way and for the right motive. Perhaps Paul had in mind here a person in his own day who would set his body aflame in the streets of Athens, and then he wrote his own epitaph for his tombstone, and it said he made himself immortal. I think that's the wrong reason to burn yourself to death. And Paul is saying love is greater than everything else. Time magazine Several years ago, carried the story by Joan Harris. Joan Harris and her husband David had been separated for quite some time. David was in jail. Uh, There was a time when somebody avoided the draft and decided you were a conscientious objector and didn't go into the military, you were put in jail. So David had been in jail, and he and his wife had been separated for quite some time. So while he was in jail, he wrote some memoirs about how much Joan meant to him and how much he missed her. And for years, he, he recorded all that. And Joan, she was a songwriter. And so she cut an album, and she just entitled it David. And what it was, a compilation of folk songs that she wrote about how much she missed David and how rich their love is. And then he got out of jail. And later on, he was quoted as saying, living together is getting in the way of our relationship. Selfless love is necessary for a marriage or any relationship. Notice not only the supremacy of love, notice the substance of love in verses 4 through 7. It's impossible to define love. You're really at a loss to do it. The concepts also are great to cover as well. So Paul tells us what love is like. First of all, he says love suffers long. That means that we are patient, or literally, we are long-tempered. The word's common in the New Testament and is almost exclusively used of being patient with other people. We've got to be patient with circumstances. Sometimes we have to be patient with events that take place in our life. Chris Ostom, the early church father, said this, It is a word which is used of the man who was wronged and who has it easily in his power to avenge himself but will never do it. Patience never retaliates. I spoke to a lady today and, and said, well, how did your Valentines get started this morning? And she looked at me and she said, well, I want you to know I bought my husband a card last week and a box of his favorite chocolate-covered nuts. And she said, I got up this morning, went to breakfast with him, And he didn't say anything about Valentine's. And she said, he didn't give me a card. He didn't give me anything. So she said, I didn't mention Valentine's. I didn't give him a card. And if he don't recognize Valentine's and give me a card or something, he won't get his chocolate-covered nuts or his card. Long-tempered. Isn't that what that is? (laughs) And then they said, what did you do for Delaney? I said, look, I started yesterday. (laughs) Part one came in yesterday and part two came in today. She said, you know what you're doing. Now, notice the supreme example of patience is God himself. It is God's patient love that prevents our world from being destroyed right now. It is his patience and long suffering that allows time for men to be saved. Notice when he was on the cross, he said, "'Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do.'" That's being long-tempered, that's being patient. Robert Ingersoll was a well-known atheist in our country. He was a college professor. And oftentimes when he was lecturing to his college students, he would stop right in the middle of his lecture and he would say, "'If there is a God,' may he strike me dead in the next five minutes for what I just said about atheism. And he'd stand in front of the class for five minutes. And when he wasn't struck dead, he'd look at his class and say, there is no God. For if there were, he would have struck me dead. Theodore Parker, one of Ingersoll's, said of one of Ingersoll's claims, he said, Did Ingersoll think that he could exhaust the patience of an eternal God in five minutes? Love is long-suffering. Love is kind. Kindness will give anything to other people, even to their own enemies. He says being kind is the counterpart of being patient. To be kind means to be useful, serving, gracious. It is active goodwill. It not only feels generous, it is generous. Again, God is a supreme model. Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness? Paul said, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. William Penn said this, and I believe... These words are are familiar to you as well. He says, I expect to pass through life but once. If, therefore, there be any kindness I can show or any good thing I can do to any fellow being, let me do it now and not defer or neglect as I shall not pass this way again. The first test of Christian kindness and the test of every aspect of love is in the home. Your husband, listen, your husband in your home, your wife knows whether you're kind. Doesn't matter how you act at church. Same way the husband and wife, same way with children. And I want you to know the people in our home, they know us best. So that's where it begins. And then he says, love envies not. He says, love is not jealous. You know, love and jealousy are mutually exclusive. Shakespeare called jealousy the green sickness. It's been called the enemy of honor and the sorrow of fools. uh, Jesus referred to this in Matthew 20, verse 15. He referred to it as an evil eye. Now, jealousy and envy are two forms. Notice one form says, I want what somebody else has. I was reading the other day that Carson Beck, quarterback for the University of Georgia, wanted $3 million in NIL money to stay on to be the starting quarterback for 2024. Well, he didn't get quite $3 million, but he ordered a $300,000 Lamborghini. And I'm gonna be honest with you, I am not jealous of that. Somebody's gonna steal it. So why in the world do you want one of those? So you got jealousy out there. And then he says, he says we got envy. Jealousy's bad enough. A worse kind says, I wish they didn't have what they have. You know what I like to do? If it's in the paper, online, or something, and somebody gets a promotion. I like to send them a note in the mail. I want to congratulate them for their accomplishments. The other motive, too, is they can tithe more since they got that big raise. But you want to encourage and be glad for people when they get blessed. And that's what he's talking about with kindness. It was envy that brought our Lord to trial. For Pilate knew it was for envy they delivered Jesus to him. The story of the prodigal son. The older brother, because of envy, would not come even when his wayward brother was brought back from death's door. Are we guilty of jealousy or envy? Love boughteth not itself. That's a King James word there. In other words, love does not brag. Love is not on parade, talking about your own accomplishments. Jealousy is wanting what somebody else has. Bragging is trying to make people jealous of you. Charles Trumbull vowed. He said, God, if you'll give me the strength every time I have the opportunity to introduce the topic of conversation, it will always be Jesus Christ. He said, I got only one subject. I don't want to talk about the people. And that's about Christ. And if Christ is first in our thoughts, we can't possibly brag. C.S. Lewis said this. He called bragging the utmost evil. He says, the epitome of pride, which is the root of all sins. Bragging always puts ourselves first. Eric, our youth minister, came to me the other day. He he said, I've been going to a youth minister's conference here in town. And he said, I'm going to try to encourage a lot of these young youth ministers. He said, but there's two or three of them. He said, they're always bragging all the time. And he said, you know, I've had enough. I, I, just, I just can't take it anymore. It's not about Jesus, it's about money, about numbers, and, and on and on it goes. Bragging puts ourselves first. And we brag what we're really trying to do is put others down. Notice he says it's not puffed up. That means it's not arrogant. Everything good that the Corinthians had came from the Lord. And they had no reason to boast or be arrogant. They needed to praise God for his blessings. I was reading the other day about... uh, William Carey, father of modern missions. If you remember his life, he was a brilliant linguist. Did you know that he translated parts of the Bible in 34 different languages and dialects? And if you remember, he was raised in a very simple home in England. One day as an adult, when he was involved in missions... He went to one of these blue blood parties you know what i'm talking about a lot of aristocrats there and one of them walked up to him and said well mr carey understand that when you were raised and and got a vocation in england you were a shoemaker and he said no i never made shoes he said i only repaired them that's pretty humble see he said pride and arrogance will breed contention with which the Corinthian church was filled and in such thing love has no part notice does not behave itself unseemly unbecomingly the principle here has to do with poor manners and just acting rude well we live in a rude society right now all you gotta do is get on and turn them a call during rush hour. And somebody, if you're trying to keep a safe distance from the car in front of you, what's gonna happen? Somebody's gonna cut right in front of you. And if you hit their sorry tail in the rear end, you're at fault according to Georgia law. You know, it's not a bad idea sometimes if you've got more groceries in your cart than the person behind you within the hand, ask them to go in front of you. It doesn't hurt to open a door for somebody. Listen, Sometimes people are rude because they're trying to prove they're tough and rough and very harsh and to be feared. Listen, before anybody's going to listen to the gospel from us, I want you to know that we have to make sure that we're very kind to people. Then he says, seeks not her own. Here's probably the key to everything, the root root evil of fallen human nature is wanting to have our own way. Linsky, who's a great Bible commentary, said this. He says, cure selfishness, and you have just replanted the Garden of Eden. I never thought of it that way. Adam and Eve rejected God's way so that they could have their own self-replaced God. Love does not have to be number one. Notice, not easily provoked. The word "provoked" there means to arouse anger. <laughs> if you look at the Greek word there, it means a convulsion or a sudden outburst of emotion or action. Love guards against getting irritated quickly. Don't you just hate it when you pick up your phone? Your phone didn't say spam. You say, hello. This is Philip. Yes. Who are you? I want to make a cash offer on your home. Don't you hate that? I answered my cell phone the other day, and I said, "Hell, this is Philip May." Yes, she says, "Would you be interested in selling your house in the next year or year and a half?" And I said, "No." And I said, "Besides that, <laughs> I knew better than this." I said, "Besides that, you wouldn't have enough money to give what I want for it." And she said, "If I didn't have the money, I wouldn't have made this call." And you know what I did? I hung up. And I thought that was a good idea. So anyway, then thinks no evil, does not keep records of wrong that people have done to you. Love does not know how to count. <laughs> Jack McCormick was a New Testament professor out at Southwestern, McGorman. I don't know if you remember him or not. I don't know if he was there when you were around. But he was an excellent New Testament professor. And he said that he and his wife were invited to the home of this older couple. They've been married for years and years. And he said, they want us to come to dinner. He said, we got there right on time. They invite us in. They always seem so kind to us and each other. Dinner needed to cook just a little bit longer. So Dr. McGorman and his wife, they were just standing there talking. And finally, the little couple said, we, we want to show you our home. And the, and the wife said, my husband built this house when we were just young married. And with pride, the man walked them through. And he was conducting the tour. And so finally, they cut the corner. And there was a closet. And when he went to open the closet, his wife said, when we built this house, I told him not to put a closet right there. She said, isn't that the craziest place you've ever seen for a closet? I told you not to do that. That's counting. And you know what else that is? That lady felt like she had been ignored and done wrong all those years ago when he built the house himself with his own hands. And what she's wanting is payment Another partial payment again for the wrong she thought that was done to her. Rejoice is not iniquity, but in the truth. Love doesn't say, well, I knew that was coming to you. I saw it was going to happen. You're getting exactly what you deserve. Once someone asked Dwight Moody what he would do if he were caught in a certain sin. He said, well, I'd never be caught in that sin. The problem is, we all sin. A great preacher said as he watched a man going to the gallows, and you know this quote, there but for the grace of God goes I. We're all sinners. We need a Savior. Love does not rejoice in wrong, but rejoices in the right. And then he says, bears all things. You know that word bear there in the Greek? New Testament means... To cover up, it means to support, to protect. Love bears all things by protecting others from ridicule, to protect others from exposure and gossip. Even when a sin is certain, uh, a, cer- a sin is certain. Love tries to correct it with the least possible hurt or harm. Notice here he says believes all things. Verse seven. Love's not suspicious. Are cynical. When it throws its mantle over a wrong, it also believes the best outcome for the one who has done the wrong. Then he says, Love hopes all things. You know, even when belief in a loved one's goodness and repentance is all shattered, you still have to have hope. As long as grace is in operation, there's always hope for restoration in a person's life. You know, we think about the children of Israel. And all the times they disobeyed God. Did did God give up on Israel? Absolutely not. What about Peter? And all the times he sinned against Christ. And then he denied him. Jesus didn't give up on him. I was on the way out into the welcome center to speak to people after church Sunday morning. And a teenage young man, a teenage girl, walked up to me, and the girl said, Dr. May, we have a question for you. I said, well, what is that? She said, it's a theological question. I said, wow, that's, that's good. And uh, a teenager. And it says, my friend here does not believe in the eternal security of the believer. He says he's saved, but he thinks he can lose his salvation. And so I use Peter as one of the examples And then I use Paul in Timothy, where he says, I know in whom I believe, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed against that day. He, 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 not I, I, I. And I said, if you can't work for your salvation, how you work keeps your salvation. I said, let me ask you a question. You ever disobey your daddy? He said, oh, yeah. I said, just because you disobeyed your daddy, did he kick you out of the family? He said, no, he didn't. I said, that's what Jesus did with the children of Israel. That's what he did with Peter. And I said, you don't lose your salvation. You've been adopted into the family by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then love endures all things. That word endure is a military term. It it means to stay in there and keep fighting and keep taking ground. He says... Don't stop hoping, don't stop believing. He says, love will never stop loving. And then notice the stability of love in verses eight through 13 as we wrap this up. Other great gifts, he says, will vanish away, but love remains, it endures. It's the quality of your life and mine. And we should seek to emulate and put it into practice And love can make the world go round if it's Christian love. I was reading the other day about a deacon from First Baptist Church in Atlanta. Several years ago, there was a great earthquake in Iran. A disaster relief team from the United States was organized to go over and help the people. How do you think we would be received in Iran if we went over to try to help with disaster relief now as they keep attacking us. But this deacon went over there, and he stayed a month helping the Iranian people try to get their lives restored. As he was about to board a plane to come back to the United States, one of the locals walked up to him with an interpreter, and here's what the local said. I hate to see you go. You have told us and showed us that love is not a sin. It's sad that love is considered a weakness or a sin to much of the world. But we're the ones that are the ambassadors for Christ to let people know that the love is the st- love of Christ is the strongest force in the world. Whatever else you may give your life to, it's not going to last. But 1 Corinthians 13 says that love will prevail. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for 1 Corinthians 13. We listened to this read at weddings. We just kind of skipped through it like a rock. Just a flat rock that we try to throw over a pond. Just skip, skip, skip. There's a whole lot more depth here. And what we see here is a picture of your son. How he lived his perfect life. And the life that we're to aspire to here. Sharing the love of Christ with Christians and non-believers. Thank you for those who came tonight. And pray, Lord, that uh, choir rehearsal will be a worship time. Thank you that we've had the opportunity tonight to disciple teenagers and children and share the gospel with ones who are lost. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Good night.